Was that your stomach? I don't know. I think it was like a croak in my throat. Hello. Hi. Now I don't know how to do my entrance because you make fun of me and now all I can hear is Miss Doubtfire. And welcome to What in the Actual Fuck. I'm Kai. I'm Britt. And there's no cue in the music because you already heard it. Like I was saying earlier, guys, sorry. Now that every single time I want to go, hello, all I think of is when you call me Mrs. Doubtfire. Because even the way you just did it right then was not the way you normally do it. You do it like, hello. It's, yes, that's Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I can't help it, which oddly enough, I think I saw that movie maybe once in my childhood and I have not seen it I since. have seen that movie a thousand times. That movie is amazing. Not for me. For me. As you all already know, this case is going to be kind of like the first collab that Britt and I do together. But then at the same time, this is going to be our first two-parter, if not three-parter. Mostly because we are covering our first serial killer. Hang in there with us guys because like we obviously haven't done two parters, multiple parts to one case and we're still trying to figure out how we want to do it. For the majority of it, Kai is going to be speaking to you if you don't know the raspy smoker's voice. That is me. Who the fuck is ready for our first serial killer? Me. Oh, I know you are because you helped me. Hang on to your insides, ladies and gentlemen, because this one is pretty fucking rough honestly could potentially end up being two parts and then maybe like a shorty or a halfie. What do we call them? Shorties. Shorty. Right? So nobody voted. We didn't put a poll. Oh, we didn't put a poll. Shame on us, guys. Sorry. We got really excited about our first giveaway and then we got wrapped up into it and we totally forgot to put the poll up. I will put that up tonight. You're going to see it tonight before we release tomorrow. So regardless of. So yeah, it might be to use the What's going, going on? on over there? Oh no. Kylie's got some like critter in her throat. A critter in her throat. I don't know. That was like earlier. <laughs> this morning I woke up and I was just looking at my talking notes for today and my stomach rumbled. It almost sounded like a baby dog. Not Ooh. a baby dog, a, a little baby lion. Because <laughs> all of a sudden I look up and Britt's looking at me from the couch and she goes, was that your stomach? Dude, so every time I go to work now, I don't forget to eat, and then we don't have, like, lunch stuff to pack. And so the first three days at my new job, I'm, like, sitting there at the table, and, like, people are coming in. It's a very professional setting, and my stomach's like... Yeah. <laughs> or, I swear on my life, it's just one of those where your body's like, that's not what we should do, let's do it. When you are so, like, times I've gone in and I have to get medical things mm -hmm. done... And I'm standing there and I'm waiting. The tickle in my throat mm. starts coming up. And I'm like, mm. I know for a fact I'm in a hospital setting. If I start coughing, they're going to be like, you there yeah. over here. We're going to have to test you. No, instead, my boss, mm. which, of course, now it's much more laid back. 
Unless, like, a client comes in, but he's like, do you have to poop? I was like, oh, no, that's well, my stomach, not, like, my, like, gut. Like, what I do don't they know. think you're, like, farting? I don't know. Also, who like... knows the difference between a stomach grumble and, like, intestinal grumble? I don't know. I, lo- I was, like, so ashamed, oh. and then after that, my stomach wouldn't stop. <laughs> they were all looking at me like, I know, I'm having a bit of a throat issue right now, so if you hear, like, some mild, like, grumbling, it's just coming from my it's not breath. me, and I don't have to poop. So <laughs> I mean, just gonna I go ahead and throw that out there. I don't either. So welcome to our what do we call this one? A party? Because <laughs> it's like a one part, two part party. Do we call it a party? Well, I haven't even thought of what we're calling party and a shard. Parters. A party and a halfy. Got what? any trigger warnings? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. What I, I was still just stuck throwing on that like, in there because you and I tend to skip that. Yeah, this one has quite a few. What we're gonna kind of discuss in the beginning. Part one is kind of the childhood of this asshole. And again, this is not, when we are going to talk about serial killers, we're not highlighting them. We are not going into their life because we find it interesting. Please do not believe that. There are some things in here, and I'm putting my hand in air quotes because I don't believe regardless of anything, you deserve to go and murder people, especially go on a killing spree. You just don't get to do those things. And for those of you who do find serial killers interesting in a way that you wonder how they got to where they are, we're not saying that's not okay. It's okay to wonder. Absolutely. And that's my field. Like, I do wonder that kind of stuff. So we're not saying you're a shitty person for thinking or wanting to know more about serial killers. We just don't want to glamorize or think that it's cool to be a serial killer. Exactly. Trigger warnings, y'all. At this point, I don't know what I could not include. If you don't like murder, torture, rape, sexual assault. I mean, there's a um, million things, but those mis- are the big ones. Right. Those are the big ones. Misconceptions about sex workers, all of those things. This is not going to be the episode for you. We may or may not touch on a good amount of that. And even Kylie's in. not okay with that. I'm not. You should be able to listen to it. However, I understand if, if you it, have your own experiences you your, and yep, triggers, that's fine. It triggers fine. you. We are fine. Continue on. But for those of you that just say, I don't like to listen to it, that's very rude. Listen to it because these <laughs> things deserve to be heard. It's it's but such it's, an intense one. Kylie and I have very different opinions we on do. this. We do. It's not rude. I don't think it's rude. Brittany doesn't something think it's triggers rude. triggers something for you, that's completely fine. But I still feel different. In the 1970s and the 1980s, which oddly enough, Britt and I hate covering cases that are deemed like a little bit older. Okay, if it's after the 1950s. Oh, I'm not. If it's if it's 1970s is where I'm cutting off. It's got to be like beforehand. I don't even really like the 1950s, but I'll listen to it. But you start getting into the 20s and I'm gone. I don't I'm, know why. I'm wait- I don't know either. I don't. I want to. I don't know. Because oddly to enough, too, if in you were, a time that I understand. And I assume if you were to look at like statistics in the sense, yes, technology was not even really existent back in the day. And I'm saying like in the 50s, but also profiling, all of that good stuff. They weren't as capable of solving, but I feel as though they solved probably more than we do now. Does that make sense? I don't agree. You don't think so? No, we solve way more now, but... Do you think? I think that serial killers or even, like, accidental homicides, like, there's a way bigger chance you'll get caught. True. Like, there's too much CCTV, there's too much surveillance. Very true. Like, well, but tracking phones. That's too many... Like, Kelsey Barrett case. Like, right. if they hadn't tracked those phones and found the nurse, that case never would have... Very true. ...been solved. 
Now, right. that wouldn't have happened back in the 1950s, so they probably would have got away right. with it. But then again, then we wouldn't even know of it. Right. And so I there's think, probably more serial killers but getting I, away with it back yeah. then. Yeah. And then I also think of the fact that, like, obviously we evolve over time, mm-hmm. as do smarter people getting away with, you know, better things maybe back in the time. Yeah. They weren't as, I don't want to say smart, they were smart, but they didn't have to worry about this stuff. Right. Well, now right. you'd have to be pretty much damn near a genius. Or killing True. people out in really rural areas where there's no surveillance. And that kind of covers this, guys. Continuing. In the 1970s and 80s, one of the most prolific serial killers was active in raining down terror in Anchorage, Alaska. His horror and his brutality would last over a 12-year killing spree. Though, this isn't as discussed as your, quote, Ted Bundy's, Jeffrey Dahmer's, end quote. This skiller, skiller. Skiller. I combined serial killer and killer. Skillers. This skiller is one of the worst to ever be brought to justice. It is believed he was responsible for abducting, raping, and torturing more than 30 women, killing at least 17 of them. According to Explore North, the FBI spokesperson at the time concluded he may actually be one of the country's worst killers, killing at least 37 women. To the media, he became known as the, quote, Butcher Baker, end quote. And during all of his interactions with police at the end, once he was caught, he never showed an ounce of remorse. Mm. Mm-hmm. On February 15th, 1939, a devil was born into the world. 30s. This was so this in... This is like grandma's age. Yeah. Uh, born in Estherville, Iowa. Looked it up. I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly, but we all know. If I mispronounce something, it's not because I'm rude. I just can't pronounce it. Robert Christian Hansen was born to Christian Hansen and Edna Hansen. What's crazy to me is that Hansen didn't really have the usual childhood that we hear about with, you know, your really big prolific serial killers. Abuse, neglect... Some type of injury to their head. Nope. Nothing of that nature. Harda hada. Harda hada. Though he may have, may have had. Ah, damn it. Though he may have had a harder time than most in his childhood and his teen years, it doesn't excuse the horror he inflicted down the road. Many sources claim that Robert Hansen is the real-life boogeyman. Are you going to go into detail about why it was harder for him? Correct. Okay. Because I That's, was like... Mostly what this first part is, yes. it's And to me, it's really all based on appearance. It doesn't make sense. Yes. Just wait until you hear what he deems. Yeah, he was bullied. And bullying is awful. It is. Y'all bully, and let me me tell you what, I catch you bullying, and it's in front of me. I'm going to light a bully up. That's unacceptable. So bullying is completely unacceptable in our books. But that should not make you a serial killer. I was bullied. I was bullied as well. I have not killed anybody. No. Yet. Yet. Just kidding. Don't come for me. (laughs) Ha ha. Robert's father was a Danish immigrant and he owned a bakery. According to All That's Interesting, his father was known as being a strict disciplinarian. This seems to be accurate with the statement that according to Oxygen, Hansen's father was described as, quote, a big old mean guy, end quote. Robert spent his early childhood in their family's bakery working long hours as a small boy. Let's stop right there. There are no sources that say his father abused him. I think his father was just an old school, no nonsense. You're not going to get into trouble. 
and just kind of, yeah, as a young boy, you maybe shouldn't be working long hours in a bakery. But, again, we're not talking about today. In today's right. standards, yeah, that probably was considered abuse. True. However, there are a lot of people that grew up under some harsh conditions. Right. Especially back in the 30s, 40s, right. 50s. That's not an excuse to become no. a serial killer. And as I stated, there are no sources that say yes his dad, like, whipped on him or anything. Even if he did whipped on him. Right. That is still what they considered discipline back then. I'm not saying that it is okay. Right. Discipline as you will in your family, but let me sell you CPS. She owes you CPS. CPS now has a different version of what they they consider abuse today. Right. Back then, no, they wouldn't have considered that abuse. Exactly. It is your right to discipline your child the way that you want to in your home. Right. Back then. But now even, you go to school with some marks, you're done. Right. And I think the more that people have, like, this case is in, like, psychological studies at universities, and that's actually mm-hmm. one of the things that I've been using a lot. None of them are saying it was to the point of, you know, putting hands on the child and all that good stuff. He was just strict. He followed this, and that's what it is. He was naturally left-handed, but he was forced to use his right hand as a small child. According to all that's interesting, this drastic switch in his hands seemed to result in a lifelong stutter. It can, yeah. A lot of people, did you know that? No, I did not. A lot I of did, people I did not know. force their kids. Well, I knew they that. Were left-handed or right-handed. But to switch. Because then, like, it's just so stressful for them to try and change. It right. It would be very stressful to change your dominant mm-hmm. hand. Well, yeah. That, yeah, they can develop some other... Interesting. So I was, uh, mom talked about it with us. I tended to use my left more, but I was more ambidextrous. Uh So then as I got older, I went with my right hand and my right side of my body is being more dominant. But they asked him or made him change his dominant hand. And this greatly impacted Robert's self-esteem because he had developed a lifelong stutter. Mm -hmm. And then in my notes, I said, you might ask how changing hands will affect your speech, and I don't know. But now that you said that, here you go, guys. I have no stress. idea. It and is. for those of you who don't know why people force people that were left-handed to try and switch to the right side is because they believed that people that were left-handed... Wasn't it like witchcraft yeah, or something? Yeah, or witches, like back, back or in the day. like yeah. it was very... Not sinister, but they thought it was related to, like, the devil. Right. That was, like, back in, like, Salem times, wasn't it? Yeah, but it it lasted. The effects of that lasted for a long time. Right. People thought if you were left-handed, there was something wrong with you. Well, I think, like, even when... And I'm not, like... I'm not big on, like, I'm not quoting any statistics No, we are not. This is personal, what I think I remember. Back in, like, the Salem witch trials and stuff, when they're, you know, saying why they deem a person, Mm -hmm. oh, she's a witch... I think a good amount of them said it was because they're using their left hand. Mm -hmm. So after that, which is very reasonable, you're going to kill me if I'm using my left hand. Right. I'm not going to have my children grow up being left-handed. Very true. As Robert grew, he still struggled even as a young teenage boy. He was described as being exceptionally shy, timid, and having a scrawny physique with severe acne. As a teenager? As a teenager. Like a younger boy, teenager, as he's like Like getting... Like pre-adolescent. Correct. This severe acne, it was so bad to the point, even as an adult, he had really bad acne scars. Because of his stutter as well, Robert was constantly bullied by the kids in his class. The boys loved to make fun of him, and the girls loved to reject him. So Robert began keeping to himself and had become known as being a loner. Due to the lack of friends and the constant time spent alone, Robert picked up a hobby. He took to hunting and archery. 
becoming like exceptional at it. Robert had channeled all of his anger from the rejection and the bullying, turning it into hunting fantasies of vengeance. Cool to have those fantasies, but you can't start acting those fantasies out, which is what we start to see down the road. Robert actually became an exceptional bow hunter and won trophies and even held records later on in his life. Which is awesome. It is awesome. That's really cool. My God, have you ever shot a bow? I've attempted. Holy Lord. That's, that's difficult to me. In 1957, Robert joined the armed reserves, the army reserves, hoping to leave behind. <laughs> I was sitting there like, uh-huh. What the fuck is the armed reserves? It was, I, if like, if you had said that and I didn't know you meant army, I would have just assumed one of the branches. It's still an armed reserve. We're going to try that again. Army reserves. Army reserves. In 1957, joined the army reserves, hoping to leave behind his traumatic youth and create a fresh new start. He was only 18 years old at the time, and for a while, this seemed to work for him. After just a year in the reserves, he was discharged and he returned to Iowa. So I don't know where he was when he went into the army reserves. A lot did of sources. Say why he was discharged, or did he? Nope. Just and there was no mention. I think he just one left. Year? Yeah, I think he just left, and it did After not say unhonor. Yeah, it didn't say unhonorable or like you know he was. Well, I don't dis- know what the enlistment contracts were like back then, but one year. Yeah. I've never heard of a one year contract. Agreed. Maybe back then. Because even now. Although life seemed to be looking bright for Robert, he still felt as though he was, quote, mistreated, end quote, by the community. So back in Iowa, he was employed to a police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa, as an assistant drill instructor. I don't know. That's what the research says, man. Not going to fight it. I don't know the Army Reserves well, nor do I know it back from that time period. Agreed. But that's what I said. It said after that, he was discharged after a year, and then he was back in Iowa, Pocahontas, I think it's Well, in the reserves, you go back to your hometown. Right. But there was not, like, it said he left the reserves after the year. Because there was no him getting out after that. Correct. I don't know. Continuing on. Maybe we might have to start our first, uh, I don't know what you'll call that corner when we, like, mistell information. At the beginning, I'm going to be like, hey, you know how I said he got after out after a year oh no oh i wasn't judging you like oh you misresearched that i was like how does that happen i don't know continue (laughs) i'm really grilling guy i'm sorry i just oh no it's fine grill me all you want because like i said i've been researching this for like two weeks now and it's intense but that's what i had seen i could be wrong i'm gonna now look even deeper so that way when part two comes out i can be like hi we're starting off today's episode with you were incorrect here's what the correct info is but that's not ready for now hansen was even able to marry a younger woman in the summer of 1960. this is his first wife now sources didn't know much of like the wives and the children's names so we're just gonna like skim over that because i don't think that it's relevant relevant to what he does so he's got a first wife This was only, so 19 years old. Okay. Many sources. Right. But back then, it's like, you know, normal. So we're not going to mention like details or important facts about his family or anything like that. Due to the, quote, mistreatment, end quote, Robert felt he was still experiencing, which there is no rhyme or reason. He doesn't tell them why he felt that way. At just 21 years old, he began starting his terror. December of 1960, Robert was able to convince a young bakery employee, because he was still back, I think, at his dad's bakery, Mm -hmm. to help him burn down a school bus garage. I was assuming this symbolized, like, his hatred for the kids that bullied him during his childhood and at school, and I was right. According to History Daily, Robert blamed 
the act on the mental anguish he endured in high school. Once police began investigating the arson, the poor young boy who actually had like really good morals turned himself in and easily was like, hey, this was Robert's idea. I was just going along with it. You got the kid. To well, he did it with him. With him yes. Okay. So obviously Robert was immediately arrested and taken in. He was incarcerated for the arson. He spent only 20 months in jail. It was supposed to be a three year sentence before being released. Isn't arson right before sexual or right after sexual assault for those who are most likely to reoffend? Correct. And then, right. which is odd because this comes up like down the road when what's his name does the psychological profile on him because mm-hmm. he identified like he's probably committed arson. Yeah. But usually it's your McDonald's triad. Yeah. The bedwetting, which is usually due to like some animal. type of sexual assault. Yeah. The animal hurting and then arson and then going yeah. from that. This was the only time he did arson. So I think it truly was. I don't think he had like something. I I believe he just wanted to burn down the kids. But nobody that, was inside. Nobody was inside. It was just the garage that right. held the school buses. While he was spending the 20 months in jail, and this was on his three-year sentence, Robert's wife divorced him and left. So this further fueled his hatred for women and feeling as though he was constantly rejected. And they didn't have any kids, right? No, they did not. According to Explore North, he was paroled despite being assessed as having a, quote, infantile personality, end quote, which made him constantly obsessed about getting even with people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Infantile. Infantile personality. Interesting. It seems at this point, Robert then began the downward spiral. Once he was released from his arson charge, he was sent back to jail a few more times, mostly for minor crimes such as like petty theft, stealing, all of that. And it's believed that he had begun stealing just for the thrill of it. There was no rhyme or reason behind it. It wasn't things that he actually needed. He wasn't hungry and needed food. He just liked it because it was a thrill. Yeah, some people do. Somehow, while in and out of jail, Robert managed to remarry another woman. Again, sources don't really speak about her name or the intimate details, and we're just going to leave that out. They did end up having two children together, which again, they don't really talk much about the children. We're not going to include that. Continuing on. In 1967, Robert decided to move his family, including the new wife and the two children, to a new home with a, quote, fresh new start, end quote. Now, I put quotes around the fresh new start because I don't believe that Robert had any plans to give up the crimes that he was doing, or like when he actually did join the Army Reserves, he was hoping for like a better life. I don't think he needed that because the place that he went at the time I feel as though he knew it was full of crime and that he could get away with a lot more. Okay. Now, the fact that I stumbled upon while researching had me slightly concerned. According to the National Crime Information Statistics, quote, a person is more likely to be murdered in Alaska than any other state, end quote. And that truly terrified me because ultimately one of the most beautiful places in America harbors the worst of mankind there during that time. Let's not get upset, Alaska. I love you. I will visit. But at that time, it was harboring some real messed up people. Well, it's an easy place to commit crimes. Exactly. And I'm going to go into this. According to Explore North, Anchorage at the time of Robert's reign of terror did actually truly harbor some of the worst people and horrible things. And anything goes type of mentality, and I put anything goes in quotes. These things included child pornography, violent beatings, robberies, rape, were just among the normal things to see. So Anchorage, it's a really open district on 4th Avenue. That's where you would find everything, and that's where Robert moved his family. Frank, I'm not, I don't even know how to pronounce this last name, Colacurcio was just one of Seattle's biggest crime bosses, 
actually ran that area because he himself had moved to Alaska. Hansen and his family settled into a small, quiet community. This was just right outside the district that was doing all of the bad things <coughs> that you don't really want to know about. Okay. It's believed that he knew that the area had harbored malicious intent and he realized that he could find all the victims that he wanted to play out with his violent fantasies without arising suspicion. Robert did open up his own bakery and by all accounts seemed well-liked by everyone around him. According to All That's Interesting, the community members believed that Robert was just a happy baker and a family man. That act did not last long. In 1972, Robert was arrested twice. Hmm. Not for a petty theft, you might think. The first time he was arrested was for the abduction and attempted rape of a housewife. The second time was for the actual rape of a sex worker. And his wife stayed with him during these two? Yep, because somehow Robert was released both times without being truly sentenced for his crimes. Now I say truly sentenced. Some of the sources say he spent six months in prison for the assaults. Some just say he was able to walk right out because he was able to talk his way out of it. Well, and back then, I don't get the housewife one, but sex workers. Right. According to All That's Interesting, Robert's killing spree began in 1973. It's believed that he felt empowered by having committed these two heinous acts and And then was able to walk away free of charge. That would be empowering. Right? Robert himself actually admitted once he was in jail talking to investigators, he began raping, abducting, and killing sex workers since 1971. So that was literally before he even did those two acts. I had to take advantage of some of the most vulnerable people. Exactly. I want to stop right here real quick and we're going to discuss the fact that many of Hansen's victims were never identified until a very long period of time after. Whether this be it took forever to kind of find the bodies and they were too decayed to really at the time be able to identify them or perhaps that Alaska's vast wilderness and the animals that inhabit it take a toll regardless. Sorry, I thought I turned off my notification. (laughs) Or the fact that a majority of them were sex workers and nobody cared to claim them or knew they were missing to begin with. Right. Regardless of, many of the victims initially were just named after the areas that they were found. That is where we're going to get more in-depth in part two because I truly want to sit down and I want to discuss every single victim and I want to know what were their real identities once they were discovered and honestly some weren't, which is very sad. To not only endure rape, torture, kidnapping, and then a horrible end, you have your life brutally stolen from you. Some of them were never able to be properly laid to rest by their families or even receive goodbyes or claim their identity when they went. That's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. That's many, many, many of the reasons that I chose this as our first serial killer. It's just not okay for the victims and I want to shed more light on the victims. But that's mostly going to be in part two. In 1976, Hanson was again arrested. This time he was caught trying to steal a chainsaw. (laughs) From where? Home Depot? If they had Home Depot, well, they had Home Depots back then, I would assume. I don't know. But that to me right there, that's like a little red flag number one. The first ones were just, that's, they didn't ever like go into depth and like try to figure it out. He was sentenced to five years for the theft. Tell me how someone that doesn't get charged for abduction, attempted rape, and actual rape, is, oh, well, you know, we don't really believe it. They're like, go, but they get charged for a theft of a chainsaw. What in the actual fuck? Well, think of the value back then, too. 
and True. who he abducted and raped. Yeah, but this is like 1976. It's not like we're talking about, like you said, the 50s. But now, like, I think we forget this isn't 2000. Right. Very true. Like, this is 2023. Right. We're 20 years past where I still think I am. Right. <laughs> like, uh, very true. It's weird. Because yeah. it's like, to me, like, he gets to walk away with those two, but Back then he's the 70s, sentenced absolutely. to five years yeah. for stealing a chainsaw. However, being the slimy snake he is, Robert appealed his theft charge and he was released. According to Explore North, though his psychiatric records made it clear he was a total danger to society, the Alaskan Supreme Court, they were the ones that had ordered his five-year sentence, they listened to his appeal and then they lessened his time to just the time that he had already spent in jail during the trial. Okay. Mm -hmm. According to famous people, Robert was ordered to seek psychiatric treatment, including staying on a lithium program to control his mood swings for his bipolar disorder. Okay. I don't think when that was any he of these when things When is he diagnosed with bipolar? Um, it's okay if you don't have I remember. No, I have it in here. I said that. I have it in here. I think it was the first time. I know I talk about it. I know I put it in here somewhere. That can be something that I update later. Okay. Or that's something you talk about in the next. But I also think, like, I don't think he was truly diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Okay. I think that they had just realized, like, his psychiatric records said if he's to be released because he had that infantile personality issue, he's going to be a danger to society. So okay. they kind of thought putting him on a lithium program would control the, quote, mood swings. I'm okay. assuming instead of saying he's a danger to society, oh, he has bipolar disorder. We'll put him on some drugs and he'll be just fine. Again, Dangerous. kind of unacceptable. Yes. In 1983, more than a decade after... Hansen had moved to Anchorage, Alaska. A young woman was found frantically running down, just like the children running outside this room, <laughs> frantically running down 6th Avenue. Her name was Cindy Paulson. Okay. She was 17 years old, naked, barefoot, and handcuffed, running for her life. Hell no. Ooh. This is where trigger warnings start coming into play. We are going to talk about Cindy. We are going to talk about the account that she gives because she is a survivor of Robert Hansen. Okay. Ew throat. Man, something's going on. Something's like gurgling in there. <coughs> Let's talk about Cindy. Because obviously, again, I don't give a fuck about Robert Hansen. I don't give a shit about his upbringing. I don't give a shit about his life before he did all these things. I'm more interested in Cindy because she's a boss ass bitch. Like I said, she was only 17 years old at the time. Robert did his usual MO. I'm going to skip forward a little bit because I want you guys to kind of understand what it is that Robert does. Hansen would mainly target sex workers and exotic dancers from around Anchorage. According to Explore North, based on Robert's looks, the women didn't actually believe they had a true reason to fear him. One of his rape victims had reported, quote, he sort of looked like the perfect dork, end quote. According to Oxygen, Hansen would tell these women, I'm going to pay you for sex. As they got into the car, the acts would be done. He would then subdue them by gunpoint and rape them. Most of the rapes were actually never reported, and that's when his victims started, like, accumulating rapidly over the years. They were too scared because after raping them and abducting them and torturing them, he would threaten them and release them. What you're saying, they would get in the car under the premise of we're going to perform these sex correct. acts. They would do the sex acts. And then, and then he would rape them Correct. Again. And then out of nowhere, he'd pull out a or gun. Yes. He'd pull out a gun and he would literally like brutally torture. He would rape them again. You're going to hear by them. Cindy's account. the first time they engaged well, the first in the sex Yeah, because it's like you're paying paid. me, so they're doing it. Right. But then after, you're going to hear kind of by Cindy's account, I That's think intense. what he... 
oh, what he did to all of these women, I'm assuming, is absolutely horrific. So I want you all to understand another big reason he targeted these women is because a lot of times, especially back in that time, they're not going to report it. But they're also being sex workers. Right. And then they're also, if they go missing, they might not have family that's looking for them. You know, he had a reason to target these women. And a lot of times it is because women that are maybe, you know, engaging in those things, people think, well, they don't have a family that loves them. They don't have a family that cares. They're not going to file reports. Or they could have been runaways and their family doesn't even know where they are to report that they are missing. Exactly. But little did he know, those ladies' families, they did fucking care. And I fucking care. Even still to this day. So that was his MO. Robert would... Tell the women, hey, I'm going to pay you for this. You're going to come in. They would do the act. And then instead of like paying them and they go about their way, he would literally pull out a gun. He would then continue to like rape them, torture them. It's horrific. I can't imagine what these ladies went through. Robert pulled up next to Cindy in his car in downtown Anchorage and offered her $200 to perform oral sex. Okay. She accepted and she climbed into the front seat of his car. According to True Crime Edition, Hanson explained that they should go to a nearby car park so that no one would suspect what they were going to do. Sure. Agreeing, Cindy did not feel any type of threat. She said, okay, let alone. She had no idea the horror that was about to happen. Once they had finished their original agreement, Hanson out of nowhere rips her head backwards and throws a gun into her face. Okay. He said he wouldn't hurt her as long as she just did what he says. Okay. So Cindy, again, 17 years old, is just like, I gotta comply. Ugh, I gotta go, mind. I gotta go through with this because he's holding well, a yeah. gun in my face. According to True Crime Edition, Hanson then took Cindy back to his house and drug her out of the car. Being in survival mode though, Cindy's a smart woman. I'm telling you what. She was constantly making notes of everything, including the blue color of the house she was being drugged into and all the things inside that she could remember about his house. Hell yeah. Whew. Trigger warnings, y'all. Hanson chained Cindy by her neck to a beam in his basement and for hours sexually assaulted her. He then, being the piece of shit that he was, just fell asleep. Mm. Still on true crime edition, Cindy explained, obviously she was unable to fall asleep. Yeah. You're not going to fall asleep next to the dude that's been raping you for hours and you're chained in his basement by your neck. She began memorizing everything in that basement, including hunting trophies, all the animal heads on the wall, various games and clothes that were just scattered everywhere. Once Hanson awoke, he released her from the chain around her neck and said, you can go to the bathroom and clean yourself up. I mean, man, how fucking chivalrous is that? You're so kind. What a gentleman. As soon as Cindy was done, she came back out. Hanson said, I want to show you the cabin that I have in the woods. And I'll release you after that. Well, Cindy, not having a choice, got into the car with him and they left. They arrived to Merrill Field Airport, where Hanson had explained they have to fly there to get to his cabin. You can't drive. You gotta fly. Cindy's like, oh my fucking God. Hanson gets out of the car and he starts preparing the plane. Again, Cindy was so fucking smart, especially realizing she can escape, like, how she came to the conclusion she's able to escape now after enduring rape and torture for hours on end in his house is mind-blowing to me. She realized as he was preparing the plane, she could get out. She was able to get out of the car, but then realized she needed a way to bring this man to justice. What better way to bring a sick fuck to justice than to leave something of yours they can trace back to Mm -hmm. you? Cindy got out of the car, popped her shoes off and left them in there, and then fucked 
took off. Cindy explains how she began running for her life down Sixth Avenue. Cindy was able to like flag down a driver that was just like passing by. And let me just tell you, when she took off running, it took like Robert a hot second and then he was hot on her heels. Oh, yeah. He was after her. So she flagged down this guy that was named Robert Yont. Flagged him down, jumped in right before Hansen managed to catch up. She asked Yont to drive her to the Mush Inn which is a motel instead of to the police station. Is it where her, um, whoever is? No, but that's another case. Is that and a that's movie? Where, you know what? I was thinking because I was reading the research. I'm that not might No, 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 no. Like, because I think that's that dude that, like, used to meet up with the ladies off- online and puts the shoes. That might be a different case. So I might have to, like, correct that because I really didn't find anything about shoes in my research. But I No, but it's sounding familiar, but I'm not sure if it's because I, I but know But it's not the case. pimp one. I know the pimp one because... And the, there are pimps waiting for yeah but that's where again i think it's a movie it, no it's not because i know the case that you're talking about we can cover that case <sighs> the pin sorry yeah we're gonna cut all this out because that's where i think the shoe part was like a part of it but this might be with this case too but i just didn't see the shoe part anywhere i don't know but i'm pretty sure it is Where'd i know the know? case you're talking about and he's da-da-da. them acting scars man Whew. it's uh, yeah why did i say rush I'm listening to Rough. you. I'm just oh. also looking at things Continuing as Continuing on. <laughs> so I can be like, ew. She asked Yant to drive her to the Mush Inn, which was a motel instead of the police station. But that's now, not the chicken that Yeah. Ended. Well, but she wasn't necessarily a prostitute. She was just running drugs for the... I know who you're talking about. For the pimp, she borrowed his car and the dude stole the car. Yeah. And she told him, if you just bring back the car, I won't call the police. But like, pimp was waiting and yeah. so were the police and that's where they got him. I know the case you're okay, talking sorry. about. Every time you keep going further, I'm yeah. like, no, it is. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it kind of is similar to this one, just based on, like, what happens. Yont, being the good person, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, it's spelled Y-O-U-N-T, Yont. Being the good person that he is, dropped off Cindy, because you have to realize, she's obviously underage. She's naked, handcuffed, barefoot, and all she's and screaming is, like, old. exactly, take me to the end, like, I want to go to the end. It's like, is a dude going to force himself to be like, no, we're going to the police station. Like, you're just going to, like, abide by it. But. He did some really cool things. As soon as he dropped Cindy off, he immediately went to a payphone and called authorities. I was like, hey, I just picked up this young girl. She's naked. She was in handcuffs. I dropped her off here. She didn't want to go to the police station. I think y'all need to investigate. I thought that was awesome of him. That is awesome. Authorities ended up arriving at the Mush Inn. As they went in, the clerk told them, uh, that woman actually got a cab and went to another motel. The Big Timber. When they arrived at the Big Timber, authorities did find Cindy, and she was still handcuffed at this moment. According to True Crime Edition... Officer Greg Barker unlocked her handcuffs and he was using like a master key yeah. and calmed her down for a while because she was at this point like obviously fucking hysterical, yeah. losing her mind. He was able to calm her down enough to get a story from her. She began to tell officers her story, which seemed so terrifying they didn't believe her in the beginning. Or they didn't really believe her because they knew she was an underage sex worker. Sure. Regardless of, not okay for the police to just assume you're lying, but also kudos to you for eventually coming to terms. Yep. What the cops had thought was she had a bad transaction with a client and that she was using this big story to kind of like cover it up a little bit. Cindy began to tell officers that she had been held hostage by a man. He handcuffed her in the car. He had held her at gunpoint, taken her to his house where he chained her to the wall by the neck and repeatedly raped and tortured her. At some point, (coughs) told authorities, this man wanted to then 
then take her to his cabin. Located in, forgive me for this, guys, Matananusk, Susitna Valley. Okay. <laughs> this is just 30 miles north of Anchorage. I've looked it up. I've heard it. I just can't seem to wrap my brain around it. So she continued to tell police that she was raped and repeatedly tortured for hours. And that at this point, the only reason she had escaped was because he was loading the plane to take her to this cabin. Yeah. Cops are like, what the f- Yeah. Authorities continued to listen to her. Cindy was able to give, they said, one of the best descriptions of not only her captor, but everything that fucking happened. According to True Crime Edition, she explained all the acne scars, his crooked teeth. Mm -hmm. She also explained the most minute details of his house inside and out. That being said, the inside of his house where she knew for a fact she was chained to a wall and it was on the beam down there explaining the blue house. All of the trophies being around. The animal heads. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Though they didn't believe Cindy in the beginning, they began to then realize, okay, with the amount of fucking detail this girl's giving, it can't just be her making up some wild story, right? Right. Officer Barker, once they had gotten the story, took Cindy to a hospital for a checkup and obviously a rape kit. But as they're driving there, they passed the airport where Cindy ran for her life. Okay. She sees a plane taking off as they're driving by. And she's like, you are going to stop. You're going to fucking pull over in there and I'm going to go find that plane. He might have just taken off. But if he didn't, I'm going to find that fucking plane. This girl's a beast. Officers pulled over. They went into the airfield or whatever, wherever, like the hangar that the fucking planes were kept or whatever. Yeah. She immediately was able to point out his airplane and it was registered in his name. Oh, nailed him. Nailed him right then and there. Then Cindy was taken to the hospital for her actual examination. Officers were told it was evident she had several severe sexual assaults. How they deem that, I don't know. The fact that A, she gave the details, she could point out the plane, and now the hospital is telling you this girl was violently assaulted a couple times. Officers are like, fuck nah. She's not making it up. Something right. sketchy is going on. Keep in mind, during this, bodies are starting to be found of sex workers. This is going to be more in part two. But police kind of had a thought. There's a serial killer on the loose. Right. Now it's Cindy's story. They're like, what the fuck is happening? Police go to Hansen's house. They're like, oh, wow. As they pull up, like, holy fuck, it is a blue house. Look at, oh my God, do you see that detail? That's what she said too. So now they're like really tripping balls a little bit. They're yeah. like, oh, I, like, we're, oh, shit, she's telling yeah. the truth. They knock on the door and to their horror, the man that Cindy had intimately described in detail opens it, hi guys, and greets them happily. Uh-huh. That is where I'm going to leave you for part one. Oh, come on. I know. But I didn't want to make them too long because, again, part two is going to be kind of the downfall of him. Yeah. What he actually does to these women. And then I want to talk about each of the victims. So that's going to be more of a part two. And it might bleed into a part three. I refuse to rush this case because I do believe the victims deserve justice. For sure. They deserve to have their names put out there. Exactly. That is the conclusion of part one of Alaska's Butcher Baker, Robert Hansen. Lame name, Robert. Yeah, fucking loser. Nobody likes you. (sighs) What do you feel of this? You already know the case. Yeah, I know this case. Yeah. He's a horrific person. He is a fucking terrible person. Especially when you find out, obviously... I mean, people believe it's way over. FBI thinks it's 37 women that he's probably killed. 
but there's 30 plus rapes. There's at least 17 actual, I killed these women and here's where their bodies are. It's such a terrible case. I cannot imagine it. Like you said, it was the time and Alaska is fucking vast. Oh man, there's so much wilderness. The animals, the elements. If you're just starting to like hide bodies, which obviously he got really good about doing. Well, like I said, there's no surveillance out there. You're not going to find them. Out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, it makes me so sad. It's horrific. Yeah, fuck you, Robert. But these victims do deserve to be heard. They do. Part two, I'm hoping to go over. Obviously, we're going to get more into Robert is taken into custody. Cindy being the boss ass bitch nails him down. And then because he knows he's a piece of shit, he just starts telling the officers, oh, yep, yep, here's what I did. This is what I did. And it's gruesome, y'all. The whole thing about him being a prized hunter and this record holding like bow hunter comes into play and it's your worst nightmare. Good job. Well, thank you. We shall see you. We might all see what I can come up with in terms of, like I said, I'm not rushing this. So we might release it our usual on next Monday, not this upcoming one, which will be tomorrow, but the one after that. Or if I feel confident with getting a part two in and the information is accurate and I feel confident with it, maybe we'll give you a little little extra this week and we'll record and release earlier. Yeah. But life happens and I don't know. We both have very intense lives. Oh God, yeah, we do. Until next time, my friends. Bye. Bye.